and welcome to Date Night at the Movies. Or How I Spent My Babysitter Money. I'm Jess. I'm Jordan. And this week we're talking It, it Chapter, Chapter two. 2. Really, we should have introduced the episode as finally welcome back to Date Night at the Hello, Movies. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Things have been really crazy over here. Yeah. Uh, Here's how crazy it's been. I haven't, like really sought out a new movie in like three months no no like what was the last movie we saw together was it toy story it was toy story and like typically if i'm at home and i'm working on music or like i have a rule where i take i if i'm not actively working on a project i have to take one of my synthesizers and create at least one new patch a day and while i do that i'll have the tv on or something like that and a lot of times i'll be like hey i haven't gotten a chance to see this or jess doesn't really have any interest in seeing this i'll watch it myself I haven't even done that. Yeah. I will say I have gone back um, in the the fashion in which we have spent this summer, which is going back to really fun 90s movies, um, watched Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar. Still never seen that. It's so good. Patrick Swayze is, not, is, is great in everything. Patrick Swayze is the Bill Paxton rule, which is when has he ever shown up and you're like, well, damn it. I know. So yeah. Patrick Swayze, John Leguizamo, and Wesley Snipes. Mm-hmm. How and it's just and, wonderful. And Wesley Snipes is like a genuine crazy person. So to see him let loose in a role like that must just be very entertaining. Oh, he's so good. He's great in it. Um, and Stalker Channing's in it as well. Well, she's awesome and everything. On that note, I've been rewatching The West Wing. Yes. Yeah, and Stalker Channing is great in The West Wing. Um, I also saw for the first time Julie and Julia. Yeah. Uh, is great. Ne- it's so good. Never seen that one either. It's so good. It is, it is, it is the movie, it's a perfect just feel good movie. Yeah. It really is. Now, I know that's Meryl Streep. That's Amy Adams too, right? Yes. And when is Amy Adams ever not good? I know. Yeah. Precisely. Um, so there's been some movie action, yeah. um, and Have honestly, you, we've not even on a date night, like a true date, yeah. in a couple months now, Yeah. and you, last night we went to uh, Dad's Garage, mm-hmm. so if you are local to Atlanta, I cannot recommend Dad's Garage enough. For all my fellow Archer fans out there, uh, Amber Nash, who plays Pam, is a regular member at Dad's Garage. Yes. Uh, so it's very, very often you'll see her perform. I mean, everybody who's there is great. Yes. You know, it's not about like, you know, who, who which celebrity am I going to see tonight? Like, it's not that. But she's just independently funny of Archer, and she's really good. Yes. Yeah. Um, and they have a lot of scripted shows. So we went and saw a scripted show last night and ate local Mexican food uh, in their little patio area and Mm -hmm. saw some theater and today we saw a movie yeah Uh, finally have has there been any other movies recently that you've rewatched that you just feel the urge to talk about i mean i think tu wong fu is a vastly underrated movie Mm -hmm. um and it's it's just great i really love it uh, lately, the ones that I can remember that I've rewatched, because uh, I've been doing mostly like TV shows just in the background. So, like I said, I've been doing The West Wing. Uh, I've been doing American Horror Story, even though I know I don't really like American it's Horror Story. Objectively bad. Yeah. Sorry for anyone who might love it. 
Um, and, you know, we have a very good friend who y'all have heard on our show who's been on American Horror Story. And he's wonderful in every way. Yes, but, like, it's not a good show. Now, I'm still watching it, and that just <laughs> says something about me. And you know me, I have a pretty low threshold for bad horror. Uh, or I, maybe it's a high threshold because I'll watch pretty much anything. It's a high threshold. Uh, but, like... American Horror Story thinks it's scary, but it's really just gross and campy. And they confuse that with being terrifying. Naughty Pine! <laughs> Naughty Pine! Do yourself a favor, watch the Kate McKinnon episode of uh, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. Mm-hmm. It's great. Uh, but And then I've uh, just finished up uh, Eastbound and Down, which is good. Uh, we did that because Righteous Gemstones is on, and we're both watching that. And we had uh, we had some friends working on that one. Yes. Um, Smith McDonald uh, was the intimacy coordinator for it and there was a lot of local Atlanta uh, stunt folks on it and it's pretty great mm-hmm. um, and the other thing is Jordan and I have been crazy busy with work which yeah. is super wonderful but, um, uh, and I can't wait to announce some things that we're working on that will be released absolutely uh, movies I have been re-watching lately, though, the two that stick out to me when I was in L.A., uh, I rewatched Air Force One with Harrison Ford. Classic. Yeah, it's exactly what you would remember it to be. Yes. Uh, and then the other night, I rewatched Nightcrawler with Jake Gyllenhaal. Gyllenhaal. Gyllenhaal, I'm sorry. I knew I was going to mess that up. Um, yeah, it, and that one's still a really good movie. Now, what's interesting is I was just re- uh, realis- or I was listening to Unspooled the other day, and they were doing Network. Uh-huh. Uh, and after watching that, and this was total accident, and I or listening to that, and then I rewatched Nightcrawler, and there are so many similarities between Network and Nightcrawler. Oh. It's 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 crazy, but it's a really good movie. Well, that's fun. Um, um, I'm trying to think. I've been watching a lot of MasterChef. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's a little bit of an update. A little bit of housekeeping. <coughs> Dog of the podcast. It's currently just Madison, but she is snuggled securely in Jessica's lap. Yes. So if you hear some snores, also uh, it's ragweed season, and uh, so you might hear some sniffles from Jordan and I. Yeah, I mean from all three of us probably. Yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, but if you hear snores, uh, there's a Madison in my lap as we speak, um, and also today in film history. Yes. Um, a lot of this is TV, so um, the most interesting ones. In 1964, Walt Disney was awarded the Medal of Freeman at the Freedom at Freeman, the Medal of Freedom at the White House. Awesome. Um, and in 1981, Entertainment Tonight premieres on TV. Well, there we go. You go, John Tesh. There you go. Yeah. There you go. I remember watching that in like high school. Yeah. Oh, it's Sam Neill's birthday. Sam Neill's awesome. He's 72. Yeah, you would never guess it to look at him. Yeah, well. Oh, oh, geez. This website has deaths. Uh, okay, I'm a little afraid, but any notable ones pop out to you? Grace Kelly. Really? Yeah, she, well, ironically died in 1982. <clears throat> Maybe it was due. Well, and Sam Neill in 1982 played the grown-up version of Damien from The Omen. Oh, this is sweet. 1984. No, no, I'm busy. (laughs) Stage and screen actor Gene Wilder wed Saturday Night Saturday Night Live actress comedian Gilda Radner. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he was really active in. 
in a cancer charity in her name after she passed away. Yes. Well, like, interesting. Up until he died, too. Yes. Like, even after he got remarried, he still kept that going, which is, you know, good on him. Yeah. Yeah. And then he uh, spawned a million sarcastic memes through Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Well, so it goes. Yeah. Um, okay, so should so we... So are, are we caught up? We don't really do drink of the podcast anymore, do we? No. So... That kind of petered out. So one thing we were realizing is we didn't want to just encourage alcoholism. Um, and also, um, we just kind of stopped. Some, uh, and sometimes, y'all, yeah, you have to remember is that, like, today we went and saw it at the really nice movie theater. But that's like a 35-minute drive for us, um, as opposed to the one that's just right down the road from us, which is great, but, you know... I do love that movie theater. Yeah. So, and this was almost a three hour long movie. So an hour driving time is four hours. And then it takes us about two hours or so to record the podcast. Maybe a little longer for me if I edit it right after. So all that being said, sometimes we just don't have time to actually make and invent a drink. Yeah. And And, or invent, I should say. That's fair. Yeah. Um, So that, it just kind of petered out and. If you miss it, let us know. Otherwise, we're just going to kind of keep going and do what we do. Yeah. Um, but we do have, we do still have dog in the podcast. Um, you may have noticed that we're social media, like the social media stuff, um, because we're just a, we're just a two person show here, mm-hmm. um, at, um, as of right now. And we're really active on Twitter. Um, just Instagram is hard. Even our personal accounts, we've not been posting a whole lot just because we've been really busy and summer's usually the dead months too. What do you mean? Like, like we usually aren't working as one project to the next to the next to the next as often as we have this summer. No, that's fair. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, I, I know for me too, I've just, I'm a recondoed Instagram. Mm-hmm. It, you know, I love seeing what other people are doing, but the amount of time it took and energy was taking a lot from a lot of creative projects. Um, and I've got a couple of screenplays in the works. So I was like, this is just a lot of a lot of energy for something that doesn't really give back in return a great deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're still around, but we're pretty active on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, so you can follow us there. Still follow us on Instagram. I mean, you know, we it's not like we've given up on any of it. It's just we do what we do. We got busy lives. And if any of, and if any of y'all want to come down and intern for us, I will not say no. <laughs> but we love doing this podcast. We're so glad to be back. It's so good to be in the studio. I know. Like, it feels like coming home, he said from his own home. <laughs> um, so we should dive right into It Chapter 2. Um, Jordan, mm-hmm. can you give us just a quick like recap? Quick recap. I don't think it's possible. Of Chapter 1? I don't think it's possible for to do quick, but essentially, Pennywise, the evil clown, who's who's some kind of otherworldly being, you find out as it goes on, is uh, kidnapping and eating children, and uh, he does it to he does it to one of the main characters, little brother, which spawns him to try and go hunt down, find his brother, see where he might be, all that good stuff. And he brings together his group of friends who uh, who want to try and defeat the clown and stop whatever's happening to the town. Uh, hijinks ensue, and uh, they end up thinking that they defeat the clown, but promise that if it ever comes back, that they, they make a blood promise that they will all be there. Yes. Uh, 
That that is the worst possible recap you could probably have. And then we Wayne's World to twenty seven years later, and we've got it chapter two. What are we rating this in? Um, well, there's a lot of knives and knives and hatchets. Mm-hmm. I feel like we we do weapons quite a bit. I think that says something more about you than anything. No, it doesn't. Um, um, red balloons. I was going to say, probably balloons. Uh, I will go first. I will give this one three and a half. Okay, three and a half out of five. Yeah. Why only three and a half balloons? Because I don't think it's as good as the first one. Okay. Uh, and that's honestly just how this particular story is. I've read the book three or four times. Uh-huh. Um, yes, uh, for our listeners, Jordan's our resident Stephen King uh, expert when, slash, but like genuine Stephen King expert. Yeah, I mean, there and there are definitely people out there like who write books about the books and things like that. And you know, if you really want to go deep, go talk to them. Right. Uh, or buy their books. Go do that. Um, no, when I was on the road with my dad, uh, and this was before like smartphones and stuff like that, uh, so I would literally go with a stack of like seven books over the course of a week, and most of the time they were Stephen King because they were really fast reads, and I just like I just like Stephen King books. But most of the time, I would get through at least five of those in a week. It's pretty good. Um, but yeah, so the story of it, the adult story, isn't. Especially in film format, it's not as compelling as the children's story. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew that going into it. Uh, in the book, it's actually interspersed where you're kind of reading about it at the same time. It jumps back and forth a right. lot. Whereas like this movie and then the 1990s miniseries, it's like there's the kids part one and the adults part two. And the adults just typically never been the uh, most interesting one, mostly because they're going back and re- redoing the same journey almost. Um, yeah, kinda. But they aren't though. But kinda. Yeah, but they hit a lot of the same beats. And there's also a lot of times whenever they're whenever they're adults that they spend a lot of time apart from each other. Yes. And it's kind of the Arrested Development thing. It's stronger whenever they're together, which yeah. is plot point in the movie. Um, but it wasn't as good as the first one. But I still really liked it. Um, I was prepared that it was going to be less of a horror movie and more of like the Goonies with adults. Yeah. Um, so that criticism that people say about this movie, that didn't phase me because I knew what it was going into it. Um, I thought it was cast perfectly. I thought that not only did everybody look like the adult versions of the children, but I thought everybody was great. Uh, I especially liked, as far as the adults went, uh, Bill Hader, who has definitely been building upon his performance in Barry. Yeah. Because he's just so good in this. Uh, and then I think it was James Ray uh, who played the adult Ben. He was great. What I loved about him is that he still played it like a guy who still felt like he was the uncomfortable in his own skin, embarrassed fat kid, even though he's like, you know, in better shape than I may ever be. But like he still played it like that, and it wasn't like you know in the in the TV series it's John Ritter who plays the adult Ben. Yes. And he's great in it, but he has like this confident swagger, and then like the facade breaks every so often whenever the fear comes in. Whereas this guy, he you could tell it was a guy who's like, well, I I've been compensating for how I felt as a child. I am super successful. I am super handsome. I am in super great shape, but I still have a hard time talking to people because that's how I feel. And I just really liked that about his performance. And yeah. I mean, and Mac- Jay Ryan. Jay Ryan. I'm sorry. 
but James McAvoy and uh, Jessica Chastain are always great. Uh, Bill Skarsgård is he's still a great Pennywise. Yes. I think that's another thing too is that Pennywise just wasn't around as much in this movie. Um he only has like as I was IMD being it, he only has a collective ten minutes of screen time. It felt like more because he was in different incarnations. True, but like that, and that's a very good point. But I think also that does say something good about the movie is that the presence of Pennywise is felt all the way through. You know, it's similar to like when we saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and we both have very complicated feelings on that. Me even more so since we did the episode. Um, but how Charles Manson, like, you feel his presence throughout it, even though he only has, like, ten seconds of screen time. I disagree. Well, that's how I felt. But we, I think that we should probably not get too deep into our feelings on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think that's wise. Um, yeah, so that's why I liked it. Um, I just didn't think it was as good as the first one. I didn't think the scares were quite as memorable, although there is one really fantastic sequence that we'll talk about later. Sure. Um, how about you? Um, I would give it a like a two and three quarters, mm-hmm. 2.75 red balloons. Um, I have read this book. I read this book like Joey Tribbiani reads scary books and friends, meaning um, I spent a lot of time throwing this book across my apartment um, in college or putting it in the freezer. Mm-hmm. It took me about a month to read this book, and I I read books pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I do tend to, I do love savoring a book. Um, like I'll go back and reread a chapter just because I enjoyed it. Um, I have never gone back to this book um if you are uh, a consistent listener you've probably gotten the hint that i don't really like dolls and clowns <laughs> <laughs> i like a really don't uh it's just me as a person um and i will say one of my uh, feedbacks for the first it was so in any scary movie i want i cl- i put my hand over my eyes and i watch through a little v in my hands right I just do, and it keeps things from it keeps the jumping things from making me jump out of my skin because I I'm one of those people that jumps out of my skin. Um, I know Madison. Um, I the same happened in this movie as it did in chapter one. Is my hand came down? I figured out their CGI game and their jump scare game mm-hmm. pretty quickly. Which, that was kind of like a, oh, I figured it out. Yeah. Um, And not that, and then because I haven't read it recently, nor was I expecting this to be in the same vein as the other movies or the TV uh, series, I, you know, I didn't expect it to, uh, like I I said afterwards, because we asked, we just go, liked it or disliked it. And I said, I didn't know this scary movie was going to be a show about family. And uh, I just, it's not quite what I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. I thought they were going to take a little bit more risk. Um, That's a solid point. I thought the actors were absolutely perfect. I thought the tone and the color of this movie was beautiful. Uh, there's this one moment where they're all like in the really, um, in this cave and it's really dark and all of their eyes were just beautifully lit Mm -hmm. (laughs) just beautifully lit and so there was just a lot of bonuses for me but I just felt that they didn't take the risks that I thought they were going to take and they went more in the vein of cheese 
Yeah. Yeah, the CG definitely was quite lacking in this movie, I will say. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't the it wasn't the first one as well. I was expect I thought the first one had bad CGI, so I mm-hmm. was expecting that in this. Yeah. Um and that doesn't bother me as much. Um it's just that this the tone of this series in total in total really didn't hit it and I think a lot of it has to do with the saccharine tone of the music mm-hmm. a lot of the music is just very sweet mm-hmm. um, and it doesn't really rile you up yeah well and the music if you if you watch it more like I suppose I did, which was Goonies for Adults. The music actually works really well. Exactly. But as a horror movie, you're right. I don't think that this was a totally successful horror movie. Um, which is how they advertised it. So is it a is it a horror film? I would to me, it, I consider it more of an adventure film that's ho- that has horror elements, kind of like Jaws. Right. I don't look at Jaws as a horror film. I look at Jaws no. as an adventure film. I can I totally agree. I just think that Stephen King is marketed in a very poor fashion. Yeah, I mean, they definitely people definitely like to put Stephen King in a box. And he writes horror very well and he's written some scary scary novels. Oh. And that have turned agreed. into some scary scary movies. But like The Green Mile is all but a perfect story. Yeah. And it's not scary. It's yeah. got scary moments, it's got things that really make you upset. Mm-hmm. But it's not horror, and I think it's one of the, hands down, the best adaptation of Stephen King. Mm-hmm. They even took the boring parts of Stephen King and were like, we don't need that. And you're like, you're right. Yeah. I can I can see that. With this one, I left it not feeling like a horror movie. And I do think that they could have probably taken some more risks with it. Um, especially because this is a movie that has no problem showing you, like, just straight on camera, oh, we're going to... We're going to eat children right now. What I will say, though, unlike watching Trick or Treat, Mm -hmm. which if you go back and listen to our Halloween episode, you'll hear more than you ever want to know about that movie. Um, This movie didn't make me believe they were eating children. I didn't buy it. I didn't believe it. Is that just the CGI, you think? No. I think because the... So... In the first movie, that we kind of saw the town. Mm-hmm. Um, did anybody else live there? Except no. for the Stranger Things modeled after Carnival? Yeah. That's the only time you saw anybody. Now, what I will say, what this movie did great, is the opening scene where, uh, where the gay couple gets beat up. Uh, yes. And that's taken straight from the book. And I think that they did that very well. I think that's, that, honestly, I think that was a place where they took a risk and they they leaned into it, they owned it, and it turned out exactly the way it needed to. Because when Pennywise showed up after, you know, the guy gets thrown in the river, that was scary. It was scary. And when, when his boyfriend sees him, that was scary. And then whenever the townies are are brutally, brutally beating them, that was, that was almost hard to watch. I mean, not almost. It was hard to watch. They didn't shy away from that. And I think, I think you know, when Stephen King wrote that, that was based on an actual incident that happened uh, in a town in Maine. Um, and he put that in there specifically as a reference for that. He's like, I wanted it to be, 
I, I wanted that in there and I wanted that to be part of the story because this is a story about evil and that's an evil thing to do. Yeah. Um, and I think that it got that across perfectly and it, it really confronted you with the fact that even in 2019 when a lot of the world is a lot more accepting over uh, homosexuality and gender fluidity and things like that. Uh, it's like, yeah, but this stuff still happens. Yes, and it's evil. Yeah. I will say, though, that after that, the rest of the world and the town of Derry dropped away. Right. There was no consequence. There, unlike the, the first movie where you really felt the missing children and, and Georgie, right? Mm-hmm. So it had a direct result, and you see a family upset by it. There was none of that in this. It felt like, yeah, there was that one consequence of evil, but halfway through the movie, I had forgotten that happened. Well, and that's, to me, that's inherently a problem with the adult portion of this book, or of this story. And in the book, it works better, again, because they jump back and forth. Right. Because the adults are literally in town for, like, a day. Right. They come back, and it's just enough time to, like, you know, cruise by your old locker, you know? Right. Uh, so the adult portion of this book doesn't really take place much in the town. Um, and putting the movie the way that it was that's just something where it inherently becomes a weakness to it, just from the nature of the story. Right, and that's where why I gave it a lower rating is because I felt like it didn't, it looked at this from the book perspective only and didn't, I'm one of those people that I feel like a book and a movie or a, an adaptation of a book into a movie, meaning, mm-hmm. should not be the same. Right. Should not, because they're different, you, they're different mediums and they have to have a different feeling and, you know, the, like, you know, him walking into the pharmacy, for example, someone just to be going, I just don't know what to do. I haven't found her in days. Mm-hmm. Right. And we had none of that. And yeah. not to, and I don't want to downplay the beginning of the movie because that was like, it got me prepared to be like, oh, geez. Yeah. It, oh, geez. It led you to believe that they were going to be riskier than they were. Yes. And they unfortunately weren't. Now, I, now I will say that, I will say that, there are deviations from the book that they made that I thought worked really well. Okay. Um, and we'll more talk about that in the second half because it gets into more spoilery stuff. Totally. Um, what are some things that you did actively like about it? Well, to do my, uh, my, I want to talk about a stunt. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. so this, this is, is um, so this is a little bit of a spoiler, but I, it shouldn't ruin for you. Especially if you've read the book. Um, but th- I'm not gonna tell. I'm not gonna about it. Talk about it in too specific. But there's a moment where someone attacks Mike in mm-hmm. the library. Yeah. So I'm not gonna tell you any more than that. But um, it's kind of like this this knife fight. Um, a book falls off the bookshelf. That's how it starts. Mm-hmm. I won't and I won't spoil anything else other than there's what I loved about this stunt work is it was down and dirty fighting. It wasn't fancy because there were just two people fighting. One was trying to kill the other, and the way that they chose to do this lift and smash through a breakaway table mm-hmm. and they shot they shot it in mid and wides so what i mean by mid and, mid and wides is you can see kind of from their like hips up and then at least from the knees up so you saw a lot of their movement and it was edited together so that way you could really see the the bold motions it wasn't in the vein of james 
um, like in the Born Identity or um, a lot of a lot of action films like to go really tight because mm-hmm. it's easier to make it feel faster. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, you can only move as fast as you can move, um, which doesn't always translate into high energy action. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was it was perfectly timed, and the way that he lifted him up was such good teamwork. And I do believe that was it was all practical. Mm-hmm. And the way that you do a breakaway table. Um, that was a real table. Yeah. <laughs> it was a real table. Sometimes they're made of like balsa wood or something like that. Um, and it's heavily scored. So that means that the the material itself is cut up a great deal. And you literally just throw someone through it. Mm-hmm. And that stunt performer, uh, whomever, whomever it was, I don't know um, uh, Canadian uh, stunt performers as well. Um, but that person was in jeans and a tank top. Yeah. So... That was a big, that was a big smash. It was, and it was just, and then the, there was a continued fight through there and it was kind of just this like standoff with the knife. Um, and I just thought that was, it was just, they shot it really well. The timing was right. Mm-hmm. It was just enough that you thought, oh no, something, something horrible is going to happen to one of our lead guys. Yeah. And I, here's where I'll stop the spoilers. Um, what I but I just that was my one of my favorite gags. I just thought it wasn't that flashy, but that that performer took a bump. I mean, yeah, took it, and it was perfectly shot. Like you saw, you saw Mike lift this person up, um, or probably Mike stunt double lift up. Like their feet were off the ground and then just landed in this table. It was mm-hmm. probably done in about two different shots. I, from yeah. watching the cut. Um, but it was really seamless and <clears throat> just went through that table. It just was so brutal. It was so good. It was so interesting to watch and there was choreography to it. Like there was some fighting, but it was the kind that I'm, I really am drawn to, mm-hmm. which isn't super flashy. It's just, it, it's it felt it felt so dangerous. You it know, was so exciting to watch. What I liked about that fight too is that just by the nature of the story, it was at night yeah. and the lights were off in the library, but they still lit it in a way that you could see everything. Yeah, yeah, like, and it was conducive to stunt doubles too because they didn't they didn't have to do the classic hide your face. Mm-hmm. Um, I just worked on a movie doubling a, um, a woman, and I had to. I had to do the very classic, like, elbow up, hide your face mm-hmm. um, quite a bit. Um, luckily, our jaw lines were very similar, but it just, you immediately will, re- like, you'll recognize it. It's like, oh, that's not the actress. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I felt like that was so great because they their arms were down. They yeah. were just doing their choreo. And if it was the actors, even more awesome, but mm-hmm. it did lend itself really well to movie magic. Yeah, no, I, I thought that that whole sequence was just great. Yeah. Uh, and it was different than it happened in the book, too. So from a story perspective, I was still like, oh, I don't know what they're going to do here. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's about that time where we need to take a break. But uh, I do want to talk about music before we go in there. Yes. So this was done by the same guy who did It Chapter One, which is Benjamin Wallfish. Now, Benjamin Wallfish has done a few movies that we've done on this podcast already. Mm-hmm. Uh, most recently, um, Madison just bumped my mic stand. Uh most recently, he did uh, Shazam. Yes. Um, I 
love Benjamin Wallfish. Mm-hmm. Um, he re- he came up. I, I might have told the story on the podcast before, but literally Hans Zimmer went on. He goes on YouTube binges and just like finds people doing interesting things, and he found Benjamin Wallfish doing something on YouTube. Sent him an email just being like, "Hi, this is Hans Zimmer. Uh, would you like to talk with me?" And he and Wallfish was like, "Oh, it's one of my buddies. I'm I'm not going to do anything." And eventually, he found out that that was actually Hans Zimmer's email. So he came back. He's like, "I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry." <laughs> uh, but he started working a lot with him. Uh, he worked with him uh, most notably on Hidden Figures. It was Hans, uh, Benjamin Wallfish, and Pharrell. Mm-hmm. And then they did Blade Runner twenty forty nine together. And I. Actually, I think Benjamin Wallfish did most of the music, for, or like most of the incidental music for Blade Runner. Yeah. Um, but then he did It Chapter One, and I loved the music for It Chapter One. The same way I loved the music for It Chapter Two. Now, you were very right by saying it's not a horror movie score, mm-hmm. so it doesn't make you feel like a horror movie. And the parts where the parts where there were where there was like horror movie music. It relied on a lot of like stock tricks and stuff, and honestly, there were parts of it that like I think I had that sample library. Um, yeah, I just um, I felt hope the whole time. Right. Well, and that's the thing. If the movie were, it worked so well in chapter one because it was about living in the town of Derry. You know, it did the thing. I know. I know it's become a cliche, and people hate it when people say this, but like Derry was a character of it chapter one. Well, yeah. Um, and so the music really fit that. And then that opening scene where Georgie is chasing the boat down, the music in that opening scene in chapter oh, one is perfect. That well, that for both opening scenes in it chapter one and it chapter two are cinematically almost perfect. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the strongest parts of this score are on the is on the sweeter side. And honestly, it's really really good at that. And there are some there are definitely some parts where it feels like oh, this is Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it does the sweet stuff well, and then it does like the, like the blown away by what you're seeing well. But in terms of tension and horror, it doesn't really focus on that. Well, and I and I think my criticism of the score is I never felt for one moment that they wouldn't succeed. Right. Never. I never felt that way. Right. And I can I can totally see that. Um, again, maybe it didn't bother me as much just because I knew more what we were getting into a little more than you did. Uh, right. But again, whether I did or not, I mean, I've read the book. It has been a while. I do know how I did remember how it ended. Mm. Um, I don't know. I don't know the, the gritty details. I couldn't tell you specifically, but I I could have told you happier, sad ending. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Um, but it doesn't mean that there's not room in the story to wonder. No, totally. And and I'm not disagreeing with you about the music. It didn't bother me as much just because I wasn't expecting a whole lot of just like horror. Right. Um, I think looking back on it, I wish it would have given me more, but I'm okay with it. Uh, and, and again, like the horror music that he employs in there, it's fine. It's a bunch of stock tricks. Uh, but... I think he spent most of his time writing like the bigger, grander things, which he knocked out of the park. It's just, again, people go into this expecting a horror movie. It's probably not going to scare them as much. That's fair. Uh, so should we take a break? Let's take a break and then go into spoiler territory. Have you ever looked at all those Insta celebrities and been like... 
where do you get your raw jewelry because it's gorgeous? Or where did you get that female empowerment shirt because I need one? But then you think to yourself, I don't wanna go shopping because it's too selfish. What if I could tell you you could get awesome apparel, awesome jewelry, and it gives back? You need to check out Rock's Jewelry Shop. That's right, Rock's, R-O-X. Rock's Jewelry Shop has amazing jewelry, and I just got a shirt that says, those females are strong as hell. Thank you, Kimmy Schmidt. You can check out Rock's Jewelry Shop online, and with code DATENIGHT, you'll get 15% off. So head on over to Rock's, R-O-X, Jewelry Shop.com, code DATENIGHT for 15% off. And we are back in our spoiler section for It Chapter 2. woo so, um, and we still have a dog of the podcast. We do. It's a festivist miracle. And I forgot to mute you. So, if you heard any uh, doubling effect on Jessica, um, I'm a sound design genius. That's where we're going to leave that. <laughs> Brilliant. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, this. Or is there anything specific that you wanted to mention in the spoilers first? Uh, yes. Cool, because mine will meander. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um,. What was your favorite Pennywise moment? Um, I will probably say there were there were a couple of really great sequences. I think my favorite is in the very beginning. Okay. Uh, with uh, Adrian Mellon being pushed over the bridge. Um, because that was just that was just scary. Whenever you see him on there, it's almost like uh, one one thing I remember hearing you say was when we were watching Friday the 13th part 6 once and there's a particular there's a particular kill in there where these two people are walking in the woods and then they'd see Jason finishing killing a guy and he turns and he just looks at them and that I remember you saying that really scared me because it's like you're just walking across something that you could have easily avoided but there it is you shouldn't have seen it and now you're going to die so so Pennywise popping up in the very beginning of the movie like that, it made me feel like that. I will say, like the when you see Adrian's point of view of bobbing in and out of the water, and uh-huh. you see this figure that's not right with kind of glowing eyes. Uh-huh. Yeah, I totally can see that. Yeah. Um, the, another one that I really liked was with the little girl under the bleachers. Yeah. Um, that was because she, they'd already established her as like a really sympathetic character in the beginning because that's who Adrian gave the stuffed animal to. Uh, and she had the birthmark on her face and she was just adorable. She was. Uh, Vicky. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Vicky. But the, that whole sequence, that was the one time in the movie where I really felt like in terms of just like the actual story, you know, we, we already talked about Adrian Mellon stuff, how we felt like that was taking a risk. To me, that was one that kind of felt more like, oh, they're going there. Yeah. Um, and again, that's because it starts off with her being bored at a ball game, and her mom's like, "No, honey, we're watching this." Right. And uh, that was she was played by Ryan Kira Armstrong. Mm-hmm. Um, she like not all child actors are great, but she was really good. Yeah, I thought so. And the sequence, the way that they put it together, uh, the way that he kind of like tricked her into coming back to him, and I love the fact that she was just like, "Friends don't hide their faces in the dark. You're not my friend." Yeah. Uh, like that. Like. And what that showed is that, like, yeah, in this town, you can you can tell your children about stranger danger and what to look out for and stuff like that. But Pennywise is still going to get your kids. Yeah. Um, and whenever he paused after two, like, again, like you said earlier, you could kind of feel the trick. You knew the rhythm of when he was going to actually attack at her. 
But if you look at it from her perspective, it's like, this is a nightmare going on right now. Mm -hmm. So I really liked that sequence. Yeah. What about you? Um, My favorite was actually the very, very end when he's melting. Yeah. And it becomes like this puddle Uh um, that looks... um, it kind of looks like an. It looked like Voldemort. I was thinking the same thing. It looked like Voldemort in the train station. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that was really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a theme of baby hands throughout this movie. Yeah. That became comical to me. Uh huh. Um, the the first time you saw it, it was like, oh, this is kind of creepy, and then it just kind of kept going. It was a lot of baby hands. I loved just watching. I didn't love when they were like. There are other ways to make him small. And I was like, um, yeah, Well, you know who wrote this script? Our old friend Gary Doberman from The Nun. <sighs> and I went into this movie super skeptical because of that. Oh, see, I didn't realize it. Uh, that I wasn't I, ready. I purposely didn't tell you. I wasn't ready. Yeah. That's probably for the best. Anyway, so when they all are like, there's other ways to make him small. So they did that, you mm-hmm. know. I hated all of that. Yeah. Um, because it was like, I can smell it from over here. Well, I, the thing is, I I was fine with it when they were doing it, because that is, it's not the way that the book ends, but that is a very Stephen King thing to do. Totally. Uh, and like some, and but I think that if it were written and shot more in a way of them actually taking back their power, instead of just being like, mm-hmm, honey, I can make you feel bad too. I It felt like the Harry Potter scene where they're getting rid of the boggart. Yeah. That's what that felt like to me. Mm-hmm. I had to think it should have had the Harry Potter music of... Like, it was like... That sounds closer to Johnny Carson. <laughs> sure, whatever. Yeah. But once he became the puddle before mm-hmm. they grabbed his heart, I really thought that was just really... The CGI, the storytelling of, of him being in this puddle and then becoming one with the tree stone thing. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really great. I also loved when he saw... Was it Bill where he actually looked like a normal person? Uh, no, no, that was Beverly. That was Beverly, yeah. That was Beverly. Um, and uh, oh, I also want to talk about that scene. But um, the when he looked, when Pennywise looked like a normal yeah. person and he's painting his face and then he scratches his face so that the, those lines look like our blood. Yeah. Um, I thought that that was exciting to me. That was really interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. And I didn't... You know, this I I didn't know what to expect. Yeah. Well, that scene, that sequence of Beverly going into her old apartment might be my favorite sequence in the movie. It's great. Um, and um that the woman playing the old lady, mm-hmm. unsung hero of this movie. Yeah. And like the how they had her doing all the stuff in the background. And like, because you go in there, especially if you know the book, you know what's going to happen. And that's something that's been consistent from the book to the TV movie to now. Uh, basically how that scene plays out. Except in this one, they went the step beyond and they made it, you wonder, did Pennywise used to be a real person? Right. Uh, and I still don't have an answer about that. Um, there's a part of me that would like to think he was, but I don't really know. But it's just it's just interesting. You know? I believe that Pennywise is a demonic form uh-huh. that shapeshifts. Yeah. So I do believe, I, I am on board with the fact that maybe Pennywise, what, per, like, charotted yeah charaded walked around like a normal person for a hot second well and in the book he actually says my name is bob gray but you can call me pennywise yeah so 
so they, I mean, maybe they kind of uh, hint at that in the book, but that whole sequence, I loved it. Yeah. And and him putting on the makeup and then scratching his face, like you said, it was great. Uh, I, I thought that was really, I just thought it was, I thought it was actively interesting. Uh, that I, And this, uh, Mrs. Kirsch, mm-hmm. played by Joan Gregson. Yeah. I think the overall thing about this movie is that the parts are better than the whole. Yeah. Um, and because the parts in there are just, some of them are fantastic. Like this scene, oh my God, this scene was so good. Like yeah. you talked about earlier, sometimes you'll go back and read a chapter just because you liked it. I would go back and watch this scene by itself. Yes. Um, yeah. So any other spoilery things before uh, we start going on my spiel? You have a spiel? It's not as much a spiel. Like, I don't have a thesis that I'm trying to get out there. I would like, because I don't really remember, and for those who maybe haven't read the book, for someone who is such a Stephen King addict as you are, mm-hmm. um, how did the book end? And um, and I'm, I don't want to go into the territory, did you like it better than the book? Right. They're different, and they are going to be different, and you can like one mm-hmm. more than another, but I'm actually not interested in that. I'm interested in the effect of storytelling. Well, so your question is pretty much exactly where I'm going in. I figured if you said meandering, I yeah. figured we were going to well, go down it, that. it's Stephen King. It's going to meander. Now, one thing, I don't know if you caught this, but a common criticism of Stephen King is that he has a hard time of sticking the ending. I love that they brought it up throughout the whole and thing. And I love that Stephen King himself actually said that at one I point. Stephen King has a great it. cameo in here. It's a great cameo. His cameos tend to be pretty hit or miss because he's not an actor. But this was Th- this, this was, was right. Well, because he just had to play an old main guy, and he's lived around old main guys his entire life. <laughs> yeah. You know? uh, no, I I loved his cameo in this. Um, but yeah, so Stephen King has a hard time sticking the ending. Uh, I, if you are a true Stephen King fan, you tend to forgive that, uh, but you know that it's a thing. Yeah. Um, the ending of the book, it is super, super cerebral. It has to deal with a turtle who vomited up the universe. Right. Uh, And the ritual of Chud, Chud, however you say it, is literally, like, one of the reasons that, and neither the TV movie nor this movie has ever really gone through with this, but one of the whole things about Bill having the stutter is because he's the one who has to do the ritual of Chud at the end. And what the ritual of Chud is, is that he and Pennywise have to bite each other's tongues and they have to make the other person laugh. So the whole I forgot about that. Yeah, so the whole thing... How would you do that? Yeah, it, like, yeah there's no, really no real way to, uh, to do that on screen. But that's why Bill having a stutter is important in the book. Because he, that's what he had to overcome. Got it. Um... And they, uh, it's still giant spider, uh, because that's the closest that the human mind can see to its true form, is a giant spider, but they find out it's a female with eggs, and then they have to, uh, destroy all the eggs. I remember that. Um, And they still rip out its heart. Uh, they still rip out its heart in the miniseries, too. Uh, it, it's not nearly as involved, and the miniseries very much doesn't stick the ending. Um, <laughs> I very much, though, liked the puddle of Voldemort yeah. uh, at the end. I did like that. No, 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 oh, totally. Well, and like what I liked about this is that they still had the heart ripping out and uh, in the book, and then here they still had to rip out and crush the heart together. And yes. It just, and it, it was a variation on that, and I thought that was really clever. Yes. Um, and of course, they they still kept the spider form, just because I think in here it was just because that's how Pennywise wanted to mess with people. 
Yeah. Um, well, also, and they showed in the um, <laughs> ritual, like they all got up, got impaled by like this vine mm-hmm. army thing, and so the spider also worked because it was like this little impaler exactly. thing, um, which I'm doing the song "Walk Like an Egyptian." Yeah, she's from, pretty much just either doing the Steve Martin King Tut or walking <laughs> like an Egyptian right now. <laughs> but that's spider arms. Yeah. Um, uh, one thing I really liked, and this was a pretty big change in the book. Uh, or in the movie. And, you know, of course, we saw the first movie before we started doing the podcast. Uh, but one thing I'd mentioned in there in the first movie is that they really sidelined Mike, Mike's character in there. Totally. And, like, even in the book, Mike was the historian, and they gave that to Ben. So Right, which was bizarre. Yeah. And uh, I remember we we were all going, hold on, then how... Because Mike's... We all, were, we all said... But Mike is the one that brings them back. Yeah. So now what are they going to do? Are they going to sideline him again? Right. And so I went in this movie expecting that. Now, the way that they avoided that is they just didn't mention it. Mike somehow just became the librarian. Um, well, but more so, he's... I, I would say rather than that, they just... They kept it at he's the only one that stayed. Right. Well, and that's part of the book, too, and in the miniseries, too. But the, in the book and the miniseries, adult Mike is kind of just treated as, like, you know, kindly old, well, I'm going to help you all remember, so that way we can do this. What I liked what they did about Mike here is they turned him into a manic person. Yes. From, from the very get-go, he was manic. And a lot of that seemed was driven by loneliness, which I actually loved the way they did that. Yeah. Um, but, so, whenever they... The where Mike goes in and talks to the Native Americans and like goes into like their their ritual and like the smoke tent things like that that happens in the book but he does that as a kid and the uh, it's Mike and I think it's Richie they go into the clubhouse that Ben builds and yeah. then they do because Mike is, he's in the library reading about it, he's like I heard about this let's see and that's whenever they see Pennywise come down in the form of a comet millions of years ago. Uh, but what I liked what he did is that he still got them there for what their ritual of Chud was, that they said it was in the movie, but that they revealed that Mike had lied to them because he thought, well, we'll just do it different. And it put that in there, and it cast Mike in a very complicated light. And I think that they actually handled his character very well that I way. I think so, too. And they didn't make it be... They didn't immediately villainize him. Right. Um, and they did, and I think they were smart in the way that they supported it is because he had done so much research and he had done so much work when he was like, because they didn't, even when he was like, because they didn't believe it would work. Yeah. I, you know, that's an easy eye roll, but I did not eye roll because it made, it made sense for who they set him up as. Right. Um, and what I liked about that too, is that not only was it motivated by loneliness on how all of his most important friends he's ever had uh, left him. Right. But because he he was probably still in the middle of researching all of this and then it happened again because he didn't know it would be 27 years. So he's just like, we have to go with whatever I found right now. Right. Um. So I really, really liked the way they handled his character and Isaiah Mustafa portrayed it so well. Yeah, I agree. Um, what Now, where I was afraid they were going to sideline him is that in the book, so there's Henry Bowers who... Uh, in the book, gets blamed for all the child murders, as well as the murder of his dad. They don't really talk about that here. Right. Um, I liked his appear his appearance as a kid for the first time, where the camera goes upside down, and then he comes out of the water. Uh, like, he gets flushed out of the sewer. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, but Henry Bowers only shows up to sideline Mike Hanlon. Uh, the, it realizes that... Uh, 
that they're getting closer. And so he goes and he breaks, he helps uh, Henry Bowers break out of the mental institution again. Henry Bowers shows up, stabs Mike, and then they end up stabbing him with his own knife. Like, he falls on his own right. knife. And then that's just all he does. So when he shows up and he attacks Eddie and stabs Eddie, I was like, really? They're even going to take this away from Mike? But the fact that they had still had him go back after Mike later... Uh, yes. What I liked about that is that it gave Henry more of a reason to be there as opposed to just one... Uh, a one and done. I, I, I think maybe the phrase for it would be anti-deus ex machina. Well, no. No, because there was nothing... Deus ex machina is something that comes from nowhere to rescue. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, it's the fact that it has to be the god machine. Yeah. There was nothing godlike or any rescuing. Well, that's why I said anti. Okay, this would be like the the direct opposite. Right. Like, not even anti. This is not even in the same realm. Mm-hmm. Because he is all but useless. Right. In the adult version. Here's my big question. Mm. We are talking about this book and how the adult and the children coexist. Right. Why? Why could it not be filmed that way? Well... Uh, you want the cynical answer first? Sure. Because they weren't sure if the first movie was going to make enough money to warrant a sequel. That's that makes me want to flip a table. Right. Because um, um, what a lame excuse. Yeah. What a, you're going to do something, whether you know it's going to be successful or not, but you don't. We've we've at this point the TV version exists yeah it exists why would you do the same thing yeah i mean that's a big thing for me i think honestly the easier way from a story standpoint to say that is where would you split up the two stories being told simultaneously what is the halfway point between each age group defeating it well then, but here's the thing: the the story's more than that. Mm-hmm. I think that's looking at this story at a very, very surface level. Right, but that's what they're going to do in making a studio movie. Not necessarily. I just think it is unrisky storytelling, and I feel like it was just—I don't know—it it just felt like okay. Well, this has been done before. No, I I agree. Um, I wish I had a better answer for that. But that's, I just feel like this was not looked at cleverly. Mm-hmm. It wasn't looked at. What would it really be like in a town, a very small town, that when it's affected by demons, it changes everything? Mm-hmm. What is that really like to live in? Yeah. What's it really like to live in it? It's not just about his defeat. Mm-hmm. It's not just about that. Hell, the the second movie could have been two hours long and just about the parallel dimensions of the kids and the adults fighting in. Mm-hmm. The first and the, the the other one could have been a two hour movie about realizing the problem and developing these relationships that have to be strong enough. I mean, I could to- I could totally see that. Like if you went into it being like we are making this a two parter, um, and we are gonna parallel these, uh and then instead of having one five-hour-long story, you could easily have one four-hour-long story. Yeah, why does it have to be three-hour movies? Mm-hmm. 
I'm totally with Jesse Moulton on this. Yeah. Jesse Moulton, because they, they were talking about um, short films, essentially, at Moulton Fest. And I couldn't agree more, because something she said was, make your movie shorter. Mm-hmm. And I just think we can get to the point. And I think that everything has an essence, right? Mm-hmm. Everything has an essence that things get so bad and so scary that we have to do something about it. Right? Yeah. Isn't that what this movie's about? I think I think to tell the story that way, you would almost have to you would almost have to Netflix this story. I disagree. I but I think that the the way to tell that story right is to allow it to breathe and not have to end it on a major cliffhanger. Um I think that it would have to be told very much kind, kind of in the way that Haunting of Hill House was. See, here's where I completely and utterly disagree with you. Mm-hmm. What if the story almost, what if, if it's little, there's Pennywise, of course, and these demonic things happening you can't realize, but you've got the real life terror of Bowers. Mm-hmm. That's real. Yeah. And Pennywise realizes himself through Bowers. You, you know what I would be afraid of if somebody tried to do that, though? Hmm. Did you ever see the Matrix sequels? When they first came out, uh, the last made or the the second Matrix movie ends on a cliffhanger, and of course those movies were only like months apart from each other, right? Uh, but it ends on a cliffhanger where you see a guy who's supposed to be like, "Oh my God, it's him!" and that, and it just cuts to black, and it's a really lazy cliffhanger ending, and that's what I'm afraid that somebody would have done with. This. But here's the thing, though: if someone's gonna give go the effort. To actually make an interesting version, an interesting visual version of this story, mm-hmm. th- I doubt that they would just do that because the effort that would go into it. I think really what it just boils down to for me is I don't have a good answer for this. Yeah, I just, I don't know. It's such an interesting story. And like I said, I, the book is so scary mm-hmm. that I used to throw it across the room. Yeah. The book is so scary and you really don't know who's going to make it out. Um, so... I do want to talk about, so there are two members of the Losers Club who die in this movie. Yes. Uh, Both of them have slight, they're just variations of how it happened in the book and the uh, TV series. Do tell. Uh, The first one is Stan. Yes. In the book, Stan is just so terrified, and they don't really focus on this part of it as much, but he cuts his wrists in the bathtub, and then with one of his wrists right before he dies, he writes it on the wall. Right. And in the book, it actually, like, that's the only thing in a different font. It's like, that's an illustration, you know? Uh, and he writes that on the wall here, but they don't really focus on it. But at the end of the movie, you find out that he writes a letter to all of his friends saying that, I know I would have just held you back, so I took myself off the board, so that way you could do this. And I thought that was interesting, and I didn't dislike that, but I don't know, I just had complicated feelings on that. Yeah. Um, what did you think about that? I mean, the closure was nice. It, it, it was good for closure, and it was good because, like, especially in the TV miniseries, Stan is just weak, and that's all there is to it. Which is sad because it's not yeah. the case. Stan, so what the TV miniseries does with all the characters is it very much, like, it very much does the 90s thing of just boiling somebody down to one thing. Mm-hmm. Kind of like how Freddy Krueger movies just kind of ended up devolving into, you know, well, I'm a jock. Oh, so Freddy's going to kill you in an ironic sports way. Correct. Like, you just become that one thing. The 90s TV series definitely did that. Bill had the stutter, and he was the leader. 
uh, Bev was the girl who just happened to be, uh, who happened to also be the best shot with a slingshot. Mike was the librarian. Ben was the fat kid. Richie was Seth Green. Uh, obviously six years older than the other ones. Right. Uh, and then Eddie, Eddie had asthma. That was his only thing. Uh, and then Stan was Jewish and a coward. Lord. Yeah. Um, so, and here what I liked about it, and I think the most obvious, the most obvious one is like change for the better is Eddie because it's not just about Eddie being a hypochondriac and Eddie having asthma and things like that. They even say it at the end. He was always looking out for us. Yeah. Like Eddie just has all these neuroses in his head and he's trying to help his friends. He's like, no, don't you understand? Right. And it really makes him a three dimensional character. What I did like about the ending with Stan though, is that it did turn him into a three dimensional character and you got to see him as more than just the cowardly Jewish kid. Uh, Which he wasn't in the first. No. And apparently, um, you know, we don't have this one on Blu-ray or anything, but apparently his uh, bar mitzvah scene, that was actually shot in the first movie. And it's available as a deleted scene in the, on the Blu-ray. It's so much better. Than yes. Yeah. Well, they use alternate takes and stuff for here. But it worked out so good. And again, you got to see him as a fully three-dimensional character. So it didn't come out of left field when they got those letters in the end. But like I said, I think that... I just have complicated feelings on it because there's all there's also a part of that that's like, well, you're just as a writer, you are allowing Stan to just believe the worst thing about himself. Yeah, but he also killed himself. Yeah. So I feel I feel like some closure is that's is that's okay. true. I mean, it's not like they weren't going to have Stan kill himself, you know? Right. Um, but then uh, the other one was Eddie dying. Yeah. Uh, in the TV miniseries, it's really lame because he just gets picked up by the spider and then thrown, and they go to him. Uh, and in I think it was in the book too, but uh, Richie calls him Spaghetti Eddie, and then he dies, and he's like, Richie, don't call me Spaghetti. You know I hate that. And that's how he dies. You're all fired. Yeah. Uh, in the book, he gets his arm ripped off and dies from blood loss and shock. Uh, and, Which is close to this as well. Yeah, well, and he rips off one of Pennywise's arms. I don't know if you noticed that, yes. but that was a little uh, that was a little reference. But in this one, he gets impaled, and like you feel it more. Like you, yeah. Like in the TV miniseries, it's almost like, oh, Richie, Richie just lost his little buddy. Um, but in the in this one, it's like they are devastated that that happened and there's that moment where bill like really loses it on eddie and eddie's struggling with his bravery and richie tells him like you've done this you've done this and you've done this you're braver than you think and then you find out the twist at the end which i really liked when richie goes back to the r plus e at at the at the end so you remember in richie's flashback whenever uh whenever he gets bullied out of the arcade yeah and then the next thing you see is he's he's carving r plus and then he leaves and then uh, Bill Hader's Richie goes back to it, and he fixes it up, and it's R plus E. Yes. Uh, which, I mean, Richie Richie was very straight in the book, uh, and I loved that they were that they added that layer to his character, and it all made sense. Is yeah. that he's been in love with his best friend his entire life? Yeah. Uh, I I thought that was great. Yeah. Um, I, th- I thought the way they handled Eddie was great. I thought James Ransone was so good. Agreed. And he looked almost exactly like the kid, too. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, again, I'm sitting here talking about things that I loved about this movie just as passionately as I'm talking about the things that I don't think worked. Yeah. And I think it, that that's why, to me, it's right in the middle of like three and a half is because the parts that worked on it worked as good as any movie that hits its target. Yeah. It's just there's so much of it that doesn't. And, yeah, I just felt like... I feel like our I feel like movie marketing's just got to get better. Yeah, I agree. Well, it's kind of like whenever we saw the trailer for Black Christmas. Guess what's going to happen at the end of Black Christmas? They're going to find out that the uh, they're going to find out that the um, that the, fr- the fraternity has been behind the murders the whole time. It's the skulls at Christmas. Yeah, and the girls are going to get their revenge. Okay, great. I don't need to see that movie now. Right. Well, but that and it's like why. I feel like it was completely mismarketed. I also feel like this movie couldn't pick its tone. Mm-hmm. The the scene with the adult Eddie uh, and he gets vomited on by the leper and it goes into the 80s song for like just a moment and it goes back into it, that bothered me. Yeah. I, that, that was not good filmmaking. No. And I just... And also, like the le- where did the leper come from? I don't remember that. I don't. The, the leper was a big thing in the, in the first movie. That was uh, that was Eddie's recurring like f- like fear that Pennywise was attacking him with. Oh, okay. Uh, There's just a lot that I was just like, what? And this is also where it does a disservice from disconnecting the two. Mm-hmm. I never assume your audience has the time to watch your movies back to back. Yeah. You need to make it clear. If you're making a two-parter that are years apart. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the only the only movie that seems to get away with that are the Lord of the Rings movies. The first three. But what they don't get away with is that they 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 have these they're the, these epics uh-huh. and they're completely different places. Yeah. Right. So th- it's not like all of a sudden we're still in. A forest together. Mm-hmm. Something completely different is happening. Yeah. And so you just jump on board. Mm-hmm. And it's a, just a different part of the story. That's a good point. Like, you're not having to remember. Uh, it took me half the movie to re- remember which adult with which name. Mm-hmm. If you said, Jess, who was it at the very end who got impaled? I would not have remembered it was Eddie until you just mentioned it. Yeah. So when I saw the R plus E, I was like, but wasn't that... Wasn't that Stan? That's how I felt. Well, and that is that is something too. I will say is that they really did uh, lead you to believe like if Richie was going to be in love with any one of his friends, that it was Stan and not Eddie. Correct. Yeah. And I was like, but, uh, and then I didn't remember his name was Eddie, and then I felt dumb, and then I like spaced out for a couple minutes because I'm trying to remember things mm-hmm. that were were assumed I would just remember. Yeah, I think. Honestly, I think it did a decent job as the movie went on, uh, bringing you back into what happened in the first one. I don't think it did as good of a job as it thinks it did. Uh, I can, I'm on board with that. Yeah. No, um, I, I mean, we saying its praises definitely throughout. Throughout. So, um, should someone go see this movie? I think so. I would recommend seeing this movie. Um, I I would more recommend because I haven't rewatched the first movie in about a year or so. Mm-hmm. So I would definitely recommend. If you can, watch the first movie before you go into it. Agreed. Um, but I think that, like I said, the highs are really high in this movie. The lows are pretty low. They're not so low that I think the movie is just 
awful. Like, it's not a Man of Steel situation where no, the lows were this, so low it drug it all Well, down. what made me crazy is this movie loved the middle. Yeah. That's what... Yes, there are these memorable scenes, and if you've listened, if you listen to our spoiler territory before you go see a movie, we've given you the highs. Yeah, everything else is in the middle. Yeah, this isn't a movie about highs and lows. I think that's a much better way to put it. It's not high and low. It's high and middle. Yeah, and I am me as a as a storyteller. I'm extremely interested in. I'm just I'm extremely interested in the emotional story you're going to take me on, mm-hmm. and it wasn't as strong as like them saving Bev at the end of the first movie mm-hmm. was very very strong. Yeah, I you know I wasn't sure if she was going to make it out or not. Yeah, really not sure. I really was unsure how she was going to be affected. Right? Mm-hmm. We know that she sees their deaths. We see all these things, and Jessica Chastain is. A, you know, a, the bomb.com. She's amazing. She, she's a good up and coming actress. Oh, uh, yeah. She's brand new. You're <laughs> going to love her. Um, but she was one note. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that's uh, anything on her. I think it's something on the script. It's 100% the script. They, in, in this movie, in this adult, the adult version, um, they were helping Bev down from steps. Yeah, they were, weren't they? Left and right. And you know what they didn't do in the first movie? That. They just let Bev be a part of the gang, and that's not how she was treated. She was treated as the love interest throughout the second part of the movie, and it made me nuts. And that's why when she was by herself, it was so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that sequence. Her in her apartment. It's great. Yeah. Her, like, her... Refinding the note, re that that whole moment where she dis- like rediscovers what it felt like to be loved when her father was so awful to her. The yeah. first movie takes you to these really scary places that I'm are. Glad very- I'm glad they didn't go as intense with Bev and her father in this one. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm not saying they should have done it any different in the first one. I just don't know if I could have kept taking it. No, no, no. I don't think that. I I totally agree. But what's so good about the first movie is they allowed the the world around them to be effect, be effective, mm-hmm. right? So that way, whenever they go down and defeat him, it feels like a true victory. Yeah. This, however, unless you literally just left your, you watched part one, you left your house, you went to the theater, you don't come in with that feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, we as an audience didn't film part two with you right after you finished part one. Right. We aren't left with those highs. We aren't left with that feeling of fear. And you wrote the only female as a love interest in second in the second part, and it makes me crazy. I think, honestly, they did to Bev in this movie what they did to Mike in the first one. Oh, yeah. I can totally see that. Because Bev... Bev is so much more. Yeah. The first movie had was using part of the script that Carrie Joji Fukunawa uh, wrote. Yeah. And whenever this one went straight Gary Doberman, I was very uh yeah. I was very skeptical. I mean, so much so that like we didn't make our way to go see Annabelle. Like that wasn't something where we were like we have to go see that. Honestly, because it's Gary Doberman written and directed. Right. And we are huge Annabelle fans. Yeah. I I still say, like I said on the Nun, that Gary Doberman has a great horror movie in him somewhere. I just don't think he's hit it yet. He needs someone to write his dialogue. Yeah. Um yeah, I agree. I would say that if you're going in it because it's 
you know, becoming fall time, even though it's global warming and it's still 100 degrees outside, but you are, you know, really want to take a pumpkin spice latte and go see a scary movie, do not go see this movie. Mm-hmm. If you are a big Stephen King fan and you've read this book and you truly love the story, go see this movie. If you are going because you want to see some beautiful colors and some weird storytelling and you're not sure where it's going to go, go see this movie. But this movie has some major tone issues and it doesn't know where it wants to live. Um, But it is a fun ride. And if you enjoyed it chapter one, I think you will enjoy it chapter two. But I highly recommend seeing them as close back to back as you can. But if you're coming in for a straight up horror film, go somewhere else. Yeah, this this movie is not a horror movie. Not even close. This is an adventure movie with horror elements in it. Right. I didn't even jump scare once. Yeah. I even covered my face. There's one there is one good jump scare when Bowers was in the mental hospital and he oh, pulls yeah. the he can't get the balloon out, uh-huh. which was like this physical comedy moment where he can't get the balloon out, which is pure clowning magic. Yeah. Um, and like the positive clowning word. And he's pulling it, pulling it, pulling it. And he pulls out and his buddy who was burned to death in chapter one comes crawling out like a zombie. Yeah. That did get me. That, that one was pretty good. Yes. Um, yeah. <clears throat> a couple of things that I was going to... Actually, I mean, we, I pretty much talked about all the IMD being that I wanted to in the course of the episode. One thing I did want to mention, though, mm-hmm. is that in the book, a major plot point is that both Bill and Bev's current spouses end up going to dairy. Uh, Bill's, oh. Bill's wife, Audra, goes, um, and then... Pennywise is actually, um, he's actually controlling Tom, Bev's spouse, because uh, he goes there because he's like, I'm going to get her and I'm going to beat, I'm going to beat her to death because yeah. she left me. Um, and so whenever Audra, Bill's wife gets there, Tom kidnaps her and then takes her down the sewer, sewers and then Pennywise kills Tom and then leaves Audra catatonic. And the way that Bill saves her from being catatonic is, uh, by taking, putting her on the handlebars of silver and r- going fast enough to beat the devil that it kind of wakes her up and he ends up using silver, his bike to save her. Oh, that would have been awesome. It, it's a great ending. Um, now, one thing that happened in there is that Bill and Bev have an affair, which is a lot of guilt on Bill whenever, you know, Audrey gets in trouble. And then, of course, Tom being there. They they sidelined that. I wish they'd put that in there. What I will say, the actress who was playing Audra, his wife, was not good. And I am... Just so I don't sound evil, can you verbalize what you just did? Oh, I just shook my head. <laughs> Thank you. I just was like, no, she was not good. No, her her performance was not good. So that was the one thing where I was like, oh, I'm glad that didn't happen. Well, but they also made her a one-dimensional person. Again, they yeah, maybe he just doesn't know how to write women. I don't oh, know. wait, hold on. Shock and awe. <laughs> yeah. Have we ever seen this Doberman fellow... Mm-hmm. Not even gonna. He doesn't even deserve his full name because he can't write a female character. Gun to his head. Right. And if he were standing here in front of me, I would probably tell him, and then I'd be like, "You can't write an ending. Mm-hmm. Can't write an ending." Irony. Anyway, uh, one other shout out I want to give was uh, Luke Rosler, who played uh, Dean, the little boy who was eaten in the funhouse. Oh yeah, that was. I didn't love that scene. I didn't love that scene either. But uh, you, we would recognize him from Dead to Me. Oh yeah, I'm pretty sure he was one of the sons. On yeah, that. he was yeah. Uh, Christina Applegate's youngest son. Yeah, he was really sweet in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was good in this movie. He was. Yeah, I, I love the scene where Richie freaks out on him, thinking that he's Pennywise, and then when he's like, "Oh, do you want a picture?" He's like, "No, I think I'm good." Like that reaction was just great. Yeah, 
yeah, yeah, it was really good. But also, I like when his like his little angelic face, and it was like, oh my god, is that George? Like it was like it had such parallels to Bill's brother yeah, and like kept, the sweetness. I, you, and I was like, you actively thought it was Georgie. Yeah. I was like, whole. Oh. so there was just something that I knew that this kid's, they did do a good job with that. I was like, this kid's doomed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doomed. All right. So to wrap it up, Jordan liked it. Chapter two, a little more than Jessica. It's a movie about highs and middles. And we both recommend to go see it with a caveat of, you should probably be a huge fan of the first movie or just a Stephen King fan in general. Agreed. Otherwise, there are probably better horror movies that will make you scared if that's what you want to do. And go see Booksmart. We finally got to see Booksmart. It, we rented it on iTunes, and it was so good. A plus. It, if you ever want to talk about, because we talk about the, like the male gaze and things like that. If you want to see an example of a movie being, like, if a man had directed that movie, it would have been very voyeuristic. But if you want to see an example of what the lack of a male gaze looks like, look at Booksmart. Uh, it's also written very well. The two the two girls in it are so, so good. And they have great so chemistry good. together. Uh, it's really smart. Um, a lo- if you want to see a coming of age movie that doesn't take... It doesn't take a leaflet out of all of the other coming of age. Yeah. And it takes... Re- it's like... It feels... It just feels very real. And it feels... And what and something we talked about with another coming of age movie that we've seen is it doesn't feel like our coming coming of age story, right? And it's time it's mm-hmm. time for these new stories to be told, yeah. and it was wonderful. Well, you hear a lot of you hear a lot of people in reviews talk about Booksmart being like a female super bad, which I don't think is a fair thing to say. Uh, completely unfair, and I would pay people money to stop saying that. Um, I think the reason they say that is because it hits a lot of the same points that Superbad does, but they're both coming-of-age movies being told in one night of trying to accomplish something big. In a party-like fashion. Yeah, so that's where that's where the similarities are. Otherwise, it could not be handled in a more different way. But this movie is not raunchy for the sake of being raunchy. No. This, they don't curse for the sake of being bad. Right. It sounds like a teenager talking. And it has such a great comedy beat in the very beginning of the movie where it's like playing like funky music. And then one of the friends goes to pick up the other one uh, for school. And then they both start dancing. They're dancing along the music, like, you know, 20 feet away from each other. And it just cuts to a wide shot and they cut the music out of there. And it shows that, oh, no, this is what's happening. They're just dancing with each other for like a solid 30 seconds to no music. It's so good. Go see Booksmart. It's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Maybe we'll do... I think we're going to have to start doing like Netflix movies because... Jordan and I are about to keep working throughout the winter and the holiday season, so we might have to start like Netflixing. I it. think I might have an idea for like a weekly or bi-weekly episode series for us to do. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, then we are going to call it. We will try and see another movie uh, here pretty soon and get more episodes out. We'd love to start getting back down here more regularly. Agreed. All right, well, and on that, I am Jordan. I am Jess. And we will see you when we see you.